is the WTF Bach Podcast. The podcast about Johann Sebastian Bach, brought to you by his prodigal son, WTF Bach. Join WTF Bach as he guides your mind through a contrapuntal journey. Why don't you let WTF Bach guide you? And now, here's WTF Bach. Hey listeners, as promised, here is the cadenza from the fifth Brandenburg Concerto. Name, if you can, the performer, or at least the decade. Here it goes. That's how Bach was played nearly 100 years ago. 90 to be exact, since that recording comes to us from 1932. And who was that? Well, that's my teacher's teacher, 
the great Alfred Cortot. I highly recommend listening to Alfred Cortot if you don't know his absolutely fine pianism. He's one of the greatest pianists of all time, and if I were doing a podcast on, say, piano playing, I would spend a lot of time talking about him. Now, I recently had the privilege of playing myself this work, the Brandenburg Fifth Concerto, three times in New York, and this piece has always been on my Bach bucket list. My bucket list, but why? Well, because obviously this huge cadenza, and what to me is so amazing about this massive cadenza is that, as we learned in the last episode, since these pieces weren't published until 1850, Mozart had written all of his piano concerti over a half century before, it was nearly a quarter century after Beethoven was dead, Chopin was recently dead, Schumann had already composed his piano concerto, and none of these giant piano concerto composers had access to this Bach cadenza. This is really the first great cadenza of all time. And I feel that had Beethoven, for example, known of this work, his cadenzas would have still been even more enormous. One has the image that Beethoven is breaking new ground with his cadenzas, but really, there's nothing new except that which is forgotten. And this piece was certainly forgotten. Are you obsessed with Johann Sebastian Bach? Like WTF Bach? WTF Bach. WTF Bach, baby. But was this cadenza always this big? That sounds like a leading question, doesn't it? It was not always this big. The cadenza we know today comes down to us from that very copy that Bach had prepared for the Margrave of Brandenburg in 1721. And as we learned, this concerto exists in parts in an earlier version. What that means is, though we lack a full score for this earlier version, that is a score with all the instruments written out on a single sheet of paper, we do have an earlier version where every individual instrument is written out with their own separate part. And in this version, we see the harpsichord cadenza is quite different. But how different, do you ask? Well, rather, I must say. The cadenza we just heard, Alfred Cortot, is 64 measures long, bringing the total number of bars in the movement to 227. For those mathematicians out there, or arithmeticians, I suppose I could say, 64 bars out of 227 is 28%. The cadenza in the version we know is more than a quarter of the entire piece. That's the version he prepared for the Margrave. We can think that maybe he was trying to beef up the piece to impress the Margrave or to perhaps remind the Margrave of some improvisation Bach had done in front of him. Who knows? But in the earlier version, the cadenza is only 18 bars long. That version has a total of 163 bars in the early version. So again, for the arithmeticians, 18 bars and 163 bars is only 11%. 11% of the piece versus 28% of the piece. Or still, you could think of the new version, the famous version, being three and a half times longer than the early one. Now, what does this early version sound like? Well, let's listen. Here is the harpsichordist Diego Ares playing with the Netherlands Bach Ensemble. The early version, we would call this BWB 1050A. A because it's not the later version, the revised version.
And there we have the closing ritornello, as we hear in both versions. In fact, both versions are almost exactly identical. It's just really this cadenza which differs. So what exactly did Bach add for the Margrave? Well, he added all this wonderful contrapuntal stuff we only hear in this new version. We heard Courteau play. It's almost as if Bach in this new cadenza is imitating here the flute, the violin, those together, and of course the harpsichord. So you get this at the onset of the new cadenza. Convertible counterpoint, you know, one part going under and the other part going over, we had at the beginning. And then two bars later we have. Also, this part, this F-sharp minor part, which I covered in depth two episodes ago, we now have Bach reminding us of it in this beautiful passage here. And in fact, this will go on in quite some detail when Bach decides to add this wonderful pedal point here on the A, just the base of the harpsichord, and everything building up, building up. And then these virtuosic scales. It seems like that is really where Bach starts. The early version of the cadenza is right there in the midst of this. Because this stuff is actually where the early version of the cadenza starts. Let me just read through the early version of the cadenza here. We have the same chromatic passage work. But then we have something different. That's a unique bar to the earlier version. And then the same chromatic descent. And then this, I can't really describe what this looks like on the paper. This is written in sextuplets with uh, extremely fast notes. Let's see, 16, 30 seconds, 128th notes here. And then we have the spinning stuff. Now, those bars occur in both versions, but now here we have a unique bar in the early version of the cadenza. Now, what did Bach do in the later version of the cadenza? He goes straight for the A. So in other words, he goes from here. Straight to this. 
this D minor sort of tonality. However, in the early version, he just staggers it a little bit more. So we go from here to one more. And then something different. Now this is very interesting. In the later version, in the new cadenza, we have these triplets. Now, I just absolutely love that about the later version, the triplets, because triplets, as one is told in improvisation class, triplets bring excitement, but the triplets do not exist in the earlier version. So we go from these 128th notes. Actually, these are only 32nd notes, excuse me. scales which remind us of the chromatic fantasy and fugue. And then this very unique line here. Now I'm looking at the one copy that we have and that is actually in fact what the line says. G natural, B flat, C sharp, E flat, F sharp, G, B flat. Then this simple cadenza. Closing Ritonello. Now I want everyone first to hear a MIDI version. That is a computer simply reading the notes on the page of the new cadenza. That is the long 64 bar cadenza. And why? Because I want you to hear how the rhythm speeds up mechanically, how it looks on the page, how one, if one were not to interpret it at all, if one were not to add any rubato, any freedom, any interpretation, how the music actually simply speeds up. And particularly pay attention to those triplets I mentioned that occur in the new version. Here's a computer. Thank you. 
And that's it. Now, that's just, to me, that's sort of unbelievable. I'm going to change the instrumentation just a bit on that fast stuff and speak over it. This is about where the early version starts, there. This chromatic descent here. And the speeding up here. Now again, that's the bar that I have to play sort of in slow motion so you could really believe what's happening here. Here is that bar, the sextuplets I already described, in twice as slow. Did you get that? Let's hear it again in different instruments. And now again at the original speed. And then the spinning stuff. Now, I just love it. It's like, a, it's like a, an engine starting up. I mean, it's basically as fast as anyone could play. Ever, even Bach. And I think the point is, boom, 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 spinning stuff. That is, when he's going through these extremely fast notes, he keeps hitting this bass here, this A, and you just think it's getting tighter and tighter and tighter like a watch that's you just think it's going to explode. Now, my favorite part of this is, of course, the triplets. When we heard that in the electronic version, did it not sound like the craziest DJ music, the craziest EDM that's ever been created? I mean, listen to this. When is a DJ going to get a hold of this idea here? And everyone in the club goes, whoa, because it sounds like, you know, he's speeding up the texture, but what he's actually doing is slowing down the rhythm and breaking it from four into three. I could even beef up the bass a little bit here, and we can really understand the potential of this. carried away, but I'm sure if you know my WTF Bach music already, you see that that's sort of the direction in which I take things. Possibly more exciting still is coming out of those triplets and going back into the duple rhythm that starts the cadenza, and that's how the orchestra knows, ah, now it's time for us to come in again, because Bach is so tasteful. He doesn't go so fast, so fast, so fast, so fast, and then everyone comes back in again. He goes so fast and then breaks down to triplets and then goes up. I'm just back to the beginning where you all were when we started this. And get ready for the deceptive cadence. And then, and duplets. Like, oh, I'm just doing my thing. Setting up the rhythm for the Riccionello, which was the same rhythm all along. 16th notes here. And now, I want to play you Ton Koopman. I mentioned two episodes ago that I would specifically focus on the way that Ton Koopman plays the cadenza, and I want to point out how he plays that passage, that revving up passage. Just listen to this. Then he begins to play the spinning stuff. Now, I want you to hear that again. I want you to hear the entire cadenza, in fact. And I, of course, by no means am poking fun at Mr. Koopman. He is a master. He is possibly the living master. But he, in this instance, decides, and this is a live performance, that basically this music goes so fast, it's so virtuosic, that he simply plays 
He just really, I mean, you could see it in the video. It's, it's live in Tokyo in 2002, I think. He just simply takes his fingers and goes, and then just plays the spinning stuff. What you cannot say about that playing is that it is boring. You see, I like that playing, even though he really throws caution to the wind. And this is very serious music, and we cannot throw caution to the wind so easily. But there is an element, at least in these passages here, when you hear a computer play it, and when you hear a human play it, it sounds like it's just bordering on the edge of, dare I say, chaos. It's really almost like the impossible virtuosity. And for Bach, at least the young Bach here in his concerto writing phase in his life, we can see that there's almost, almost this attitude of a slight recklessness. Now, there is one performer who has a quite interesting take on this concerto, and that is the notorious Canadian Glenn Gould. Gould plays this work on what he calls a harpsipiano. That's a piano that's prepared to strike the keys in a percussive way that he puts maybe maybe tacks or something. Actually, Robert Hill talks about that in our interview. He used to put tacks in the hammers of his piano to make it sound like a harpsichord. It doesn't really sound like a harpsichord so much as just 
something very bombastic. So for that reason, I am not putting the audio here. It's quite a sound, but I will include the link to that performance in the episode. And he even speaks a little bit about what the concerto style is for Bach. And as usual, Gould is highly entertaining. Another thing that is highly entertaining is the young Gustav Leonhardt playing the scadenza, wearing a wig, acting as Bach in a film. It's quite an interesting film. It focuses mostly on the music, but yes, that's the young Leonhardt playing Bach in a full-length film. And it's definitely something you should watch when, say, you're alone and it's two in the morning and you can't sleep. I'm going to put the link to the entire film in the description, but here's him playing the cadenza. It's Leonhardt, and for me, Leonhardt really finds the balance of chaos and excitement and virtuosity. Here's Gustav Leonhardt, the man himself, wearing a wig.
I apologize, the audio cuts out right at that last chord, so forgive the aggressive fade out. So that's a wrap on the Brandenburg Fifth, at least for now. And of course, we've only covered two of the three movements, let alone the other five concerti in the set of six, but we must move on. And I don't quite know what will be covered next, but keep your comments coming. As usual, I will entertain your suggestions. Thanks for your donations and your follows on my Instagram. It keeps this content coming to you. Until next time. You are listening to WTF. 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 We appreciate you listening. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the WTF Bach podcast.